Oh, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. So good to have each and every one of you all here tonight. Thank you so much again for um, the opportunity to be here. Every time Pastor Cindy asks me um, to speak, I try to jump right on it because I really enjoy it. And I just, you guys are just a great bunch to, to talk to. So thank you all so much for that. Tonight, we are going to talk about more than I can imagine, more than I can imagine. You know, what the Lord is doing in us and for us and through us, it is truly more than I believe our minds and our hearts can comprehend. Um, And yet in his grace and his mercy and in his faithfulness, he continues to work on us and to work through us and to work on our behalf. And so I'm so grateful and so thankful for him and all that he has done. So we're gonna get right into this and we're gonna talk about this tonight. Um, The word imagine, the word imagine is to make a mental picture, conceive in the mind, to suppose or to think. And in Ephesians 3, Verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Always think about how he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that Krista's little brain can come up with. He can go so much further than that. He's not limited So I want us tonight to look at a few people in the Bible. And I think one of the things that we have to uh, remember as we are looking at them is how God was working in their lives in a way that was even more than they could comprehend. In the moment and at that time, as different things were going on in their life, they could not see down the long haul, down into the future, the big picture, to see what all God was doing. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have looked at different situations and I've looked at different circumstances and so forth that I've gone through. And then later I could look back on it. You know, the saying is hindsight is twenty twenty. And then I could look back on, ah, now, okay, now I get it. Now I see how God aligned me to meet this person at this time or for me to be at this place at this time or during this time he was doing this in me or he was working on my attitude or my heart so that when this happened, I'd be more prepared. And we can look back on those things and see it. But sometimes we are totally oblivious to it. when we're in the middle of it. And so let's think about Moses here for a minute. You know, Moses was born in a time um, under slavery. And, you know, you think about that. And then you think about how Pharaoh passes a law that all the Israelite sons were to be drowned because Pharaoh did not want the Jewish nation to be a strong nation. So he had ordered that all of the Israelite or Jewish sons were to be drowned in the river as they were being born and as they were young. And so his mother puts him in a basket in a river to hide him. And wouldn't you just imagine the... um, 
unbelief as his sister was standing by the river, kind of keeping an eye on everything, kind of keeping an eye on Moses. And here comes Pharaoh's daughter, the very daughter to the one who had said that all these male children were to be drowned. Here she comes to the water and she sees this basket that Moses is in and she wants this child to raise for herself. Now that's ordained of God for sure. And so Moses offer, uh, Moses' sister offers to find a nursemaid and it's Moses' mom. So he gets to stay with his mom for a couple of years. And then he is given to Pharaoh's daughter for her to continue to raise him. And she um, raises him in the, what we would call the palace. He is raised by Egyptians. And then later in his life, as he gets a little bit older, he sees an Egyptian that is mistreating a Hebrew, one of the Jews. And of course, that's really what he is. And so he sees them being mistreated. He kills this Egyptian and out of fear, he flees to Midian. Now I'm going through his story really fast because we've got a lot of stories to get through. So he leaves royalty and now he is a shepherd. So we have Moses who is born into slavery, goes then into royalty, and now goes to be a shepherd. While he is out um, shepherding these sheep, the Lord speaks to him in a burning bush. God speaks to him in a burning bush and calls him to go and lead the children of Israel out the Jewish people out. And if you look in Exodus chapter three, this was interesting to me because in verses three and four, we see where Moses has to have an act of obedience. So in verse three, it says, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Moses had to take a moment and he had to stop and turn deliberately to the place of the burning bush. And he then is called by God. But of course, Moses, we know he argues a little bit with God saying, but God, I am not the person to go before Pharaoh to plead on behalf of the Jewish people. I don't speak very well. And then God says, I will certainly be with you there in verse 12 of chapter three. So here's Moses, he leads Israel out of Egypt. There's the big, long thing, the whole process of the frogs and, and all of the different plagues that come along. And then he gets the children of Israel out. They cross the Red Sea. We have all of these instances of miracles that God did on behalf of Moses and the children of Israel, like turning bitter water into sweet water. There was manna that came from heaven whenever they were hungry and they needed food. 
They were given the, he was given the Ten Commandments. He was shown the pattern of the tabernacle. Think about that. Moses, could you imagine being able to be given that vision of the tabernacle? He led the children to the promised land and he died at about 120 years old. Now you, that was a very short little, quick little snippet of his life. And so if you just glance at his life and what it looked like, it looked like Moses was spending most of his life wandering around, first herding a bunch of sheep, and then he's herding up a bunch of people called the children of Israel. So for 40 years, he was a shepherd of actual sheep. And then for another 40 years, he is herding up the stubborn Israelites who like to murmur and complain through the wilderness. Now, what if we look at the fact that perhaps his years of shepherding actual sheep, you know, sheep are actually very dumb, I've been told. I've been told that they're pretty dumb animals. I don't know anything about them. That's just what I've read and what I've been told. So for 40 years, here he is, he is shepherding these sheep. What if that was preparing him for the 40 years he was going to be herding and shepherding people in the wilderness? I believe it was. So we can look at what it looked like, but if you look at what is happening, it is God using that time to prepare Moses to deliver a nation. In Exodus 14, 13 through 14, it says, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. God was doing more in Moses's life than Moses could imagine. Let's look at Esther. God was doing in her life much more than she could also imagine. Here she was, a Jewish girl. She was selected to be a part of a harem. She was selected to be a queen out of that harem because she found favor. You think about that. She was actually an orphaned girl who was being raised by her uncle, Mordecai, And the possibility of her, an orphan Jewish girl, being made queen is a miracle. Again, something that God had ordained. Her uncle, Mordecai, learns of this plan to destroy the Jews. And Esther goes in to the king on behalf of the Jews and pleads for them. Now, this was something that she couldn't just automatically just open the door and say, hey, I have something I want to say to you. She couldn't just go and prepare, uh, be right in front of the king, even though she was the queen. She had to gain favor to be able to do that. So she asked for much prayer. She also was doing fasting and praying herself and preparing for that moment to go into the king on behalf of her people. So what it looks like, if you just look at her life and you think about this Jewish girl that just gets plucked out, she wins this beauty competition, gets made into the harem and then made queen. It just looks like she's just one of the one more people in the king's palace, right? 
But technically what was happening is that God was using her to spare her own nation. There's so much more going on than what just appears to be going on in these stories. You think about Joseph. I love Joseph. He is the father's favorite. His brothers are jealous. They sell him into slavery. He goes and he is put as an overseer of Potiphar's house. There he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. So then Joseph is sent to jail. As he is thrown into jail, he does the very best that he can in that situation. And because of his character, he is placed into a role of overseeing the other prisoners. And then Joseph, he helps interpret dreams and tells the different prisoners of different things that uh, they have dreamed. And he's trying to get the word out of there uh, to Pharaoh and to people for people to notice him. And Joseph inter- um, interprets Pharaoh's dream and warns of a famine. Pharaoh then brings him up out of prison and puts him into a position where he is in charge over Egypt. And because of Joseph being in charge during this time, he is able to stock up food, which is going to come in um, their time of need during this famine. And then here comes the brothers that were so jealous of him that they had sold him in the first place. And they come and because Joseph was able to forgive them and, and see who they were and how much they had changed and so forth in God's mercy, the whole family of Egypt of Joseph is then brought to Egypt and they're saved during this famine. I mean, you think about these things, it looks like if you just glance at Joseph's story, it looks as if Joseph just keeps getting the bad end of the deal. He was in jail, he was for being falsely accused, he was in prison, he was sold by his very brothers into slavery, but what was happening during all of that time is that God was putting him into a position to not only protect his family, but also a whole nation from starvation. I'm having a hard time talking tonight. Starvation. Joseph and his brothers are the ones that make up the 12 tribes of Israel. God was making a way for the nation, for the Jewish nation. We can go on and on and on and we can see these situations. We see Ruth, who was this widow. And what happens is she looks like she is this poor widow that is now with her mother-in-law and has remained so faithful to her. But then she gets rescued by her kinsman redeemer. And if we look at that, her, her kinsman redeemer was Boaz. And as we go through into the New Testament, we see that she is literally listed, her and Boaz are listed in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, we can go through Abraham, Daniel, Job, all of these different ones that experienced. Think about Job. He had all of these things going for him. And then all of a sudden, he's losing his children. He's losing his livestock. He's losing his home. His health is horrible. All of these things. Bless you, Tina. And here, he then turns out, she is so sweet. Thank you, darling. 
um, it turns out that then he is rewarded even greater than he was beforehand. And Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, right? And so when we see these situations, I gotta take a drink. So when we see these situations in the midst of it, it's like, what in the world is going on? But then when you get to the end of many of these people's stories and their lives, you can then look back and see the bigger picture of what was going on. So I'm saying all of that because I truly believe that God is doing more in us than what we can imagine than what we know and what we understand when we are right here in the situation and in the circumstance. There's a couple of things that I noticed as I was also studying these different ones, and I know I went through them very quickly for time's sake. But one of the things that I noticed about Moses was that the river that was meant to kill Moses was the very thing that saved him. The children were to be these sons, these male children, these male babies. They were to be drowned in the Nile River. Where was he placed? In the Nile River. Where did Pharaoh's daughter find him? In the Nile River. The very place that was supposed to kill Moses was the very thing that turned out to be his salvation or his deliverance. The thing that I noticed also about Joseph was the fact that he acted in forgiveness toward his brothers and he saw a bigger picture of God's plan rather than dwelling in the cruelty of the past. Can you imagine if Joseph had not forgiven his brothers? Can you imagine what that would have been if those brothers would have come to him? They didn't recognize him He recognized them. He could have just went on by the situation, couldn't he? They didn't know who he was. They weren't expecting him to be in the place of power that he was in. It was him who recognized them. He didn't let the opportunity pass to act out in forgiveness to his brothers who had been so cruel to him, even though he could have. Instead, instead he saw where God's hand had been upon him even in prison and how God had brought his brothers to him. Joseph was able to help provide for his family during this famine. You know, I think so many times we need to be reminded that God is in control of every situation. God is in control of every situation. I heard someone say that patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to have a good attitude while you're waiting. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceedingly eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Also in Romans 5, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. So I asked Tina if she could help me out here just a little bit tonight. And I wanted to see if she could find me a picture of an anvil. Tina, were you able to find a picture of that? Awesome. Good job. All right. An anvil. So an anvil is usually made of iron um, and it is used to shape other iron or metal. Now, I did not grow up in a time where I saw any of my relatives using any of this. Uh, Maybe some of you Uh, have seen this be used. Maybe some of you have even used one before. I personally have not. Um, But an anvil. Let me just bring this uh, together tonight. I want to read something. If you'll keep that up there for just a second, Tina. I'm going to read to you a little insert from a book. It's a book by Max Licato called Shaped by God. And um, it's an older book, but I just really love how he explains this. So listen with me, if you will. With a strong forearm, the apron-clad blacksmith puts his tongs into the fire, grasps the heated metal, and places it on his anvil. His keen eye examines the glowing piece. He sees what the tool is now and envisions what he wants it to be. Sharper, flatter, wider, longer. With a clear picture in his mind, he begins to pound. His left hand still clutching the hot mass with the tongs. His right hand slams the two-pound sledge upon the moldable metal. On the solid anvil, the smoldering iron is remolded. The smith knows the type of instrument he wants. He knows the size. He knows the shape. He knows the strength. Wang, wang, the hammer slams. The shop rings with noise. The air fills with smoke and the softened metal responds. But this response doesn't come easily. It doesn't come without discomfort. To melt down the old and recast it as new is a disrupting process. Yet the metal remains on the anvil, allowing the toolmaker to remove the scars, repair the cracks, refill the voids, and purge the impurities. And with time, a change occurs. What was dull becomes sharpened. What was crooked becomes straight. What was weak becomes strong and what was useless becomes valuable. 
Then the blacksmith stops. He ceases his pounding and sets down his hammer. With a strong left arm, he lifts the tongs until the freshly molded metal is at eye level. In the still silence, he examines the smoking tool. The incandescent implement is rotated and examined for any mars or cracks. There are none. Now the smith enters the final stage of his task. He plunges the smoldering instrument into a nearby bucket of water. With a hiss and a rush of steam, the metal immediately begins to harden. The heat surrounds, surrenders to the onslaught of cool water and the palatable soft mineral becomes an unbending useful tool. For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7. On God's anvil, perhaps you've been there. Melted down, formless, undone, placed on the anvil for reshaping. Placed on the anvil for discipline. Placed on the anvil for testing. I know, I've been on it. It's rough. It's a spiritual slump, a famine, The fire goes out. Although the fire may flame for a moment, it soon disappears. We drift downward, downward into the foggy valley of questions, the misty lowland of discouragement. Motivation wanes, desire is distant. Responsibilities are depressing. Passion, it slips out the door. Enthusiasm, are you kidding? Anvil time. It can be caused by a death, a breakup, going broke, going prayerless. The light switch is flipped off and the room darkens. All the thoughtful words of help and hope have all been nicely said, but I'm still hurting, wondering on the anvil. Brought face to face with God out of the utter realization that we have nowhere else to go. Jesus is in the garden. Peter with a tear-streaked face. David with Bathsheba, Elijah in the still small voice, Paul blind in Damascus, pound, pound, pound. I hope you're not on the anvil unless you need to be. And if so, I hope you are. Anvil time is not to be avoided, it is to be experienced. Although the tunnel is dark, it goes through the mountain. Anvil time reminds us of who we are and who God is. We shouldn't try to escape it. To escape it could be to escape God. God sees our life from beginning to end. He may lead us through a storm at age 30 so we can endure a hurricane at age 60. An instrument is useful only if it's in the right shape. A dull ax or a bent screwdriver needs attention and so do we. A good blacksmith keeps his tools in shape. So does God. Should God place you on his his anvil, be thankful. It means he thinks you're still worth reshaping. 
Max Lucado calls this time of what we were talking about earlier of what it looks like and what is actually happening as being placed on the anvil of life by the blacksmith God to be shaped into the image that God has for us. Being on the anvil takes a lot of pounding. It's the heat being turned up. It's the heat being turned up so high that the metal actually turns blood red, but that's when it's its most pliable. That's when it's its most bendable and easiest to be shaped. Think about when the iron is bright red with the heat, the blacksmith can do the shaping. And when the heat of life is turned up, that is an opportunity for God to do the most work on us as well, if we will allow him. God is working in us to build perseverance and character and hope. In Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, it says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passed knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Titi, if you can bring up verse 16. In verse 16, you're told, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. When we are going through this anvil time, that time of being put on the anvil and life is coming at us pretty hard and things are pulling us and tugging us and pounding on us and and stretching us, we have to be reminded that it is only through the Spirit of God. It is only through Holy Spirit. As in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Rely on Holy Spirit during this anvil time to be our comfort and helper, for he abides with us and in us. John 14, verse 16 through 17. And then we're going to also jump to verse 26. It says, and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. When you are on the anvil, we need Holy Spirit to remind us of what God has said. We need Holy Spirit to bring back to our remembrance the scriptures and the promises that say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
We need Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the comfort that we need. I'm telling you, people, I know that you've been there because I've been there. I don't know anyone who hasn't been there. Every single one of us have gone through a time in our life where it felt like we were on the anvil and it felt like a hammer was coming down upon us and it felt like the heat was being turned way up and you could feel just things being shifted and moved and you could feel the stretching going on. I've been there. I've been there physically. I've been there mentally and emotionally. I've been there spiritually. And I truly believe that it is during those times that Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit wants to minister to us in such a strong and powerful way that we, as it says in verse 16, are strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You think about Moses when he was out there on the backside of the wilderness and he's having to lead these stupid sheep for 40 years. He came from royalty. He had come from the palace and now he's on the backside of some desert leading a bunch of dirty, stinky, smelly sheep that he has to keep making sure that they're not running off. Do you not think that there probably wasn't times that he was thinking, are you kidding me? I could be sitting in Pharaoh's house right now, eating the best of food, being waited on for every need that, and want that I have. But instead, I'm out here in this mess with all of these sheep. But it was preparing him that anvil time of being out there taking care of the sheep was preparing him for the time of 40 years, 40. Isn't that interesting? 40, that he was then going to be leading the children of Israel to the promised land. And sometimes the children of Israel acted worse than the sheep. It was preparing him. His anvil time was preparing him. When Joseph was down in the jail after being sold by his brothers, it was preparing him. He did the very best that he could in that situation, so much so that he got the attention of the guardsmen who then put him in charge of other prisoners. Because guess what? Several years later, he was going to be in charge of a whole nation. That time in jail, that was anvil time. That was that time of being on that right there, being struck, being molded, being shaved, having the heat turned up so that later he could lead a nation through a time of great famine that his whole family could be spared of this starvation, of this famine. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. During our anvil time, we can be strengthened by the Holy Spirit for he is our helper who gives us joy and peace and hope. He gives us hope. And it is a hope that does not disappoint. 
in verse 17 of Ephesians 3, it says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is faith? Faith is an unquestioning belief, complete trust and confidence. Think about Job. I mentioned him just briefly earlier. Think about this. He was such a wealthy man. He had everything going for him. So much livestock, home, children, all of these things. And it says that during his anvil time, we have a couple of scriptures here that just tell us what was on his heart. In Job 1, 21 through 22, it says, "Did he, that he did not charge God with wrong. In Job chapter two, verse 10, it says that Job did not lie with his lips. And in Job 13, 15, it says, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job 19, 25 through 26 says, for I know that my redeemer lives. He knew that his redeemer lived. He had confidence Job wasn't sitting there saying, well, I guess. No, he says, I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I shall see God. The man is sitting there with boils on his skin in tremendous pain. Go back and read the book of Job and you'll read these things. And he says, After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. He was confident in his faith. We also must live by faith. Romans 1, 17, Galatians 3, 11, and Hebrews 10, 38 tells us three different times to live by faith. And sometimes when you're on that anvil and you're going through a situation and you're going through a hard time and you feel the stretching and you feel the heat of life turning up, there are so many times that our faith can begin to just waver. But we must be reminded that we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. There's that word again. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Not by looking at our present circumstances, but holding on to the outcome. For we know that God is in control. God is faithful. So one of the reasons why I wanted that song to be sung tonight, God is faithful. He is loyal. He is reliable. He is accurate. He is exact. He is forever unchanging and enduring. We know from Lamentations that his faithfulness is new each morning. Each morning we get to wake up to the new faithfulness of God. In Hebrews, we know from Hebrews 10, verse 23, that God keeps his promises. He cannot lie. And when it says in the scripture, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he means it. You can have confidence in that, that you are not alone during your anvil time. You are not 
crashing during that hammering of life. You are not alone. We are encouraged in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 13, to not become sluggish during these times. And in Revelations 2.25, it tells us to hold fast. Hold fast. Jesus himself had anvil time while he was here on earth. He had anvil time. Think about him as our high priest in Hebrews 2, verse 18. It says we are reminded that he suffered and he was tempted. In Hebrews 4, 15, we are reminded that he was tempted in all points as we are. Do you think you've had a temptation that God doesn't know about or Jesus isn't familiar with? Tells us right here in Hebrews 4, 15, he was tempted in all points as we are. Hebrews 12, one through three says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do you see what he's saying there? Your Jesus has had anvil time. He is a high priest that has been touched in the ways we have been touched. He has been tempted in the ways that we experience temptation. Yet it says, yet he chose joy to endure the cross. And then he is telling us, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Jesus endured the cross, the hostility from sinners. He knows how it feels. But Jesus is cheering us on during our anvil time because he knows what it's like and he also knows that during that anvil time, if we will allow ourselves to be pliable to the heat that's being turned up, if we will allow ourselves to surrender to what Holy Spirit is trying to do in us and through us and for us, Jesus knows that the outcome is going to be a whole lot better than where we started. That's what was happening with Moses. That's what was happening with Esther. That's what was happening with Joseph. That's what was happening with Job. That's what happened with Daniel. I mean, my goodness, we can go on and on 
In Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19, it says, rooted and grounded in love to know the love of Christ. For we were truly able, if we were truly able to comprehend the love of God, how wide, how long, how deep, how high, our little brains would just be overwhelmed. It is a love that passes understanding. If we could know that what he is doing to us and through us during this anvil time is out of his love for us and his desire for us to come out on the other side being more like him and being made more in his image. If you go back to Romans 5, 1 through 5, it is out of God's love for us that he is working in us that we may grow in perseverance, character, and hope. God wants to build these things in us. And we are living in a world that needs some perseverance, that needs people of character, that needs people of integrity, that needs hope. I believe that during our time on the anvil of life, it is a special opportunity for God to show his faithfulness and goodness toward us. I can tell you during the times when I've had that anvil time, I look back on it now and I'm just like, wow, God, you are so faithful. So faithful. You know, um, I don't know why I wasn't going to go here tonight, but this just came in. And so maybe this is for someone tonight, but there's been a couple of times in my life where I have really, really struggled with depression. And one of those times was after I'd had my first uh, baby. Postpartum depression is real and it is horrible. Um, A lot of women experience that. Um, Sometimes it's experienced and don't even quite know what it is. Um, Some ladies don't quite realize that that's what it is, or maybe they don't feel like they can talk about it. That was one time in my life, and it it was horrible. Um, I remember another time, and my husband and I, we were going through such a difficult time with, um, we had ventured out into what we believed was God leading us to a place of ministry to be a youth pastor, um, only to be incredibly, incredibly wounded by the pastor that was there um, to the point to where we we left the church. We had absolutely no place to go. Um, We called up his aunt and um, she let us come and live in her attic. And um, literally, Every single thing that we owned was in storage and and we just lived in this little room where the ceiling was slanted. So if you wanted to get to the head of the bed, you had to bend down to try to crawl into the bed. And I barely knew her. Um, I didn't know her well at all. And at the time, my parents didn't have room for us. His parents didn't have room for us. Plus, it was the only place he could find a job. And I remember spending so many hours up alone in that little attic room. I am telling you what, just so down, so, so discouraged. 
And, and then I remember another time where I was just really going through something terribly. And I remember I'd, I'd take the dog out to go to the potty just so that I could go outside walking the dog so that I could get away from the house long enough to cry and get myself back together before coming back into the house to see everyone else and trying to hide that. And I would just be out there just bawling and crying and like, God, what is wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? And, you know, during those times, I'm telling you, there are so many times when we sing a song about the faithfulness of God and about the goodness of God, do you know those are the times that come to my mind? Those are the times that I think back on and I thank God you were there. In the moment and at the time, it was so hard and it was so low. But I can look back on it now and I can say, all my life you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And so many times when we're singing praise and worship, it is those times that I'm thinking about. It is those things. It was watching my dad pass away, the hero of my life, the inspiration of my life, this godly, godly. You talk about a preacher, you talk about a teacher. And to watch him die at such a young age in such a painful, painful way as bone cancer, it was horrible. And yet it's during praise and worship that I so many times, that's what I'm thinking about. How God was with us as a family during that. How we could feel God's peace during that. How it was truly a peace that passed all understanding that my brain still cannot comprehend and understand. That's anvil time. My dealing with my dad's death, that was anvil time for me. That felt like the heat of the world was on full blast. It felt like I was being hammered to pieces. When I was going through those times of being so depressed and being down, that felt like anvil time. I mean, that felt like I was being taken from the fire to the water, to the fire, to the water, to the fire, to the water, and I was being stretched in every way possible. But those are also the times that I look back on and I know that I know that I know that I know that I know God was with me. And he saw me through and he saw my family through. And I pray to God, I pray to God, I pray to God that I was willing to surrender to Holy Spirit during that time for him to be doing even more in me during that time. Verse 19 of Ephesians chapter three, it says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I wanted to look up, what does that mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? All the fullness of God is the totality of everything God is his attributes, his character, his perfection, his holiness, his power, his love. The fullness of God is his complete nature. How can we be filled with the fullness of God? 
Well, sometimes it feels as if our old self has to be beat out of us. Just like the heating and shaping and pounding and then cooling during the anvil times of life. But being filled with all the fullness of Christ starts first with repentance and surrender. Many Christians today want the fullness of God, but they don't want the anvil time that goes along with it. Let me repeat that. Many Christians today want the fullness of God, but they don't want the anvil time that goes along with it. Many Christians today want the fullness of God, but don't want to first have to empty themselves out to make room for the fullness of God. Many Christians today want the fullness of God, but not the continual leading of the Holy Spirit. But if we could only begin to comprehend that God has so much more for us than we can imagine, I believe we would long more for the fullness of God in our lives, even if that means more anvil time. Once we have and come through this anvil time and once God works in us more than we can imagine, we also have an eternal reward that is more than we can imagine. We have to remember that everything and anything on this earth is temporary. It's temporary. This is not our home. We are passing through. Let us not forget that. Nothing that we are experiencing here on this earth will last forever. Praise God that heaven is more than we can imagine. We are told that it is a place of many mansions, a place that God is preparing for us, a place where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot steal, a place where God is the everlasting light. We have something to look forward to. Don't let this life get you so down. Don't let it. Don't let this life get you so down. It may seem really, really junky right now, but I can promise you that God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And you have Holy Spirit in you, in you. And because of that, you can endure. You can persevere through the help of God. Don't give up. There's too many Christians that give up during anvil time. They say it's too hard. Or they say, well, why me? Or they say, but I'm a Christian. This isn't supposed to happen. Well, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's not what it says. Don't let this life get you down. You have a hope a blessed hope. It's called heaven. It's called eternal life with Jesus Christ who saved your soul, who died on the cross and who rose again. Don't let this life get you down. I'm closing here and I mentioned my dad. I'm telling you, I, I just, I can't even talk enough about my dad. He was not a perfect man by any means. He was as human as they are. 
but he was so in touch with God. And it was because of his hours and hours and hours of just spending time with the Lord. But I remember that before he passed away, he said, it is so hard to separate the spiritual from the physical. We often only look at what is going on in the physical that we miss the spiritual. And I just put over here, Lord, open our eyes that we would see the spiritual side of every situation. When you're on the anvil, when life is turned up, the heat, when things are hard, pray, God, open my eyes. What could you teach me right now? God, open my eyes. What is it that I could be learning? God, open my eyes. Help me see how Holy Spirit is helping me. Open my eyes, precious God. Help me to surrender more to whatever Holy Spirit is wanting to lead me in during this time. I don't believe that anything with God is wasted. I don't. I don't believe that there is anything with God that is wasted. As a Christian, there is not a single thing in our life that is wasted. I believe my son, he's like, why does everything have to be a teaching lesson, a learning experience, a learning moment, a teaching time? Like he said that when he was younger. Um, Now he's changed his tune a lot. We can learn something from everything. If we just open our eyes to the spiritual side of it, it can be so simple of what it is that God has wanted to teach us and wanting to show us. I've probably shared this before. In fact, I think I have. But I was working at Wayne's Country Fresh Meats and I was working behind the counter and I was getting somebody's hamburger one day and this older man came in and he says, I'm looking for whoever owns such and such minivan. And I said, that's me. And he said, "Um, well, I just backed into it and I just bent in the back fender and I've broke out the tail light. And um, he says, I was just gonna talk to whoever the owner was and, and see if maybe I could just pay you straight out for the damages. Well, I'm like, I don't know how that works. I don't know. How do you do that? I don't know what you can do. I don't know what, how that, if, if that's even possible. I don't know. So I said to him, well, well, let's walk out. So we walked out and we talked for a little while. And it was one of those times, I was, I'm telling you what, I'm so proud of myself. I handled it so well. I didn't handle it like I probably would have normally. But for some reason that day, it was like, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. I heard you saying, shut up, Krista. Don't say anything. Just keep it calm. And I did. I'm like, Yes passed that one. That's awesome. I did it. And so him and I, we talked and, and we exchanged uh, addresses and, con- and information and so forth and all of this sort of stuff. Well, so it all ended fine. It all ended fine. But several months later, I was asked to come and sing at a church. And would you believe who walked in the door of this church I had never been to before in my life. It was that same man. He recognized me 
And he came up to me later and said, thank you so much for handling that so kindly. I really appreciate it. I was so nervous. I really appreciate how well you handled that. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you, God, that I did it okay. Because normally I'd be like, what? Right? Am I the only one? I'm telling you, I believe that nothing is wasted. I believe that as a Christian, even the fact that that man hit my car, it was not to be wasted. There was a spiritual lesson for me to learn in that. There was something for me to gain from that. That was a little bit of anvil time for me to be stretched a little bit during that time of how I was gonna handle that and deal with it. Do you see what I'm saying? It can be as small as that, or it can be as hard as my father passing away. We're all gonna have these situations. We're all gonna have these circumstances. We're all gonna be on the anvil sometime or another. I don't know who in the scriptures haven't been. There's all been stories, and I just was flying through them earlier to try to get some of them in. Go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read the New Testament. Read about these people and the things that they went through. They went through anvil time. It was because God was taking that. I'm not saying God was striking them with anvil time, but he was using it. He was using it to grow them and to teach them. Jesus ourself had anvil time. When he was here on this earth. I just know that I want to come through the fire. Right? Don't you want to come through on the other side where you're being hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered and shaped into something? And don't you want God as your blacksmith to be able to hold you up one day and say, yep, I got him shaped the way I needed him. I got him bent into the way I needed him. I had to pound a little harder here and there and I had to dunk them a few extra times, but I got it. Don't you want that? Yes, yes. I'm still young, I'm claiming it. I'm still young that I, I, I wanna learn it now. I don't wanna have to be 103 and still be trying to figure this out. I wanna learn it now.